The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. It is 5 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 6 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past six in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 10 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Copenhagen, where they've closed the vaccine program and they're not going back. It's midnight in Kiev and Moscow and now in the same time zone and fighting for control of the Donbass. Half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 2.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. Maybe infiltrate the Gurkhas while you're there. 5 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. 7 a.m in Sydney and Melbourne, and a far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri for our listeners across the Pacific. I, uh, I'm not sure whether those Jubilee bonfires are still burning, uh, but uh, maybe you can let us know. Uh, welcome along. Uh, Peter Navarro. I did, I did Megan Kelly's uh, show earlier today. Uh, and very enjoyable it was too. And afterwards, I heard that uh, Trump sidekick Peter Navarro, he was a senior advisor to uh, Trump at the White House. I forget what his title was. His title wasn't particularly impressive. Uh, but he was on board with the Trump agenda. And I interviewed him several times uh, on Fox News primetime and the like. He He had a habit of saying Bingo! <laughs> if you put to him something that he uh, thought was particularly uh, uh, well put, he'd he'd go bingo. Well, it was bingo for Peter Navarro today. He was arrested for criminal contempt of Congress, and he was uh, put in jail. According to him, he was jail. He's at, he's just out now. He was arrested uh, at the airport boarding a flight to Nashville. And he was put in leg irons. He wasn't just handcuffed. He claims to have been put in leg irons and housed in what they told him was John Hinckley's old cell. You know, at a certain point, a country just becomes too filthy a toilet um, to, uh, to, to talk about, even in a kind of dispassionate and amusing way. We, we've just seen what happens if you uh, engage with the FBI, essentially in a racket to subvert the 2016 election. Uh, you just get off. You skate because you're a Democrat and <laughs> you judge 
uh, actually served on the Obama transition team and your jury is full of Hillary donors. That's how it goes if it's a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you get arrested at the airport, put in leg irons and housed in John Hinckley's cell. It's so disgusting. I mean, it really is disgusting. And, and actually, the, the naked part, the, the, which we often talk about, Snurdly and me, the lack of equality before the law and the acceptance by all the Republican tossers, by your Kevin McCarthy's and your Mitch McConnell's of the lack of equality before the law. You know, we have supposedly a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court, and yet uh, we have, you know, beaten Navarro, a guy who was actually... And you know why they did it, by the way? It's precisely because he was in the White House. It's precisely because he was a senior advisor to Trump. So that in the event Trump ever runs again, they'll be reminding you that they had Peter Navarro sitting in a jail cell. It's an evil system. Americans need to get real. I'm so bored, 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 bored by the pansy right. Orwell used to talk about the pansy left. These days they have nothing on the pansy right. You know, what is it? I can't even, you know... They sound like a, a joke when you twiddle the dial hearing this and that on talk radio shows these days. Anyway, that's, that's, I feel sorry. I like Peter Navarro. I think we... <laughs> we, uh, were we, I, we I have a vague memory we were trying to get him on something uh, the other day fairly recently. I don't know whether we'll be able to get him now. Maybe he, but he's, he's out of jail, having been put in jail. You know, this is a sick and corrupt system. The FBI is basically a mob racket. Where are the Republicans calling for the dissolution of the FBI because it is irredeemably corrupt? Nothing can be done about it. It's it just as in any old crap hole police state, any old crap hole banana republic. The police it's a, it, it's it is police state stuff. The police work for the ruling party. It's it's just disgusting. It's just disgusting. Anyway, let us get to your questions. You know how this works. Uh, you don't have to be a Mark Sign Club member to uh, listen to the show. In fact, uh, we hope all seven and a half billion of you across the planet are listening right now. We would certainly like that. Um, but if you would like to ask a question, you do have to be a Stein Club member. And if you join right now, uh, we'll try and make sure your question gets hustled to the front of the line. Suzanne Rennie writes, did John Durham and Elaine Breedhoff graduate from the same two-bit law school? We're not quite succeeding in winning your case. Is enough to call yourself and be considered a successful and legitimate lawyer. Meanwhile, Peter Navarro gets indicted for contempt of Congress by the DOJ. The ones guilty of contempt for their citizens are the Congress and the DOJ. That's how I see it from across the northern border, where things aren't much better. If anything, they're worse with our junior Marxist and his sidekick at the helm. The, yeah, I mean, I sometimes... <laughs> I sometimes it's been going on a bit in the comments, you know, as to which dump is the dumpier right now. 
<laughs> and uh, uh, I, uh, the entirety of Western civilization is sliding off the cliff, and I, it, it's not a terribly useful exercise. Well, I'm sliding off the cliff at a slightly lower speed than you're sliding off the cliff. So there. Uh, I'm not sure that's a terribly useful uh, discussion. But the one thing I will say, uh, Suzanne, about your country, my country, uh, or about most uh, members of Her Majesty's dominions, is that you're unlikely to get shot. I don't entirely you know, you have, yeah, things are bad, but they're unlikely to actually riddle you with holes. Whereas I can see we're getting close to the stage now where the FBI would be entirely, the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt FBI would be uh, entirely happy to actually uh, pump somebody like Navarro full of bullets and then say, oh, yeah, he unfortunately was resisting arrest, so we had to put 47 bullets in him. We're getting very close to that. It's such a sleazy, uh, fetid sewer of a system. Where are the republic? Oh, well, wait, we're getting a big, you're going to get a big red wave in November. And then we'll just sit back and do bugger all like the last time we won the House and maybe the Senate. We'll do bugger all because we never do. And meanwhile, all those powerful institutions get hollowed out by your political, they just become, as I said, it's police, basic police state stuff. Banana Republic 101. Um, and the Sussman, the, you know, the Sussman thing, this is the, if you're not, if you're not American and you didn't follow this, there's no reason why you should. Uh, but John Durham, as you know, if you've listened to our show, we, this started back when, uh, you know, Sean Hannity and they're all, but don't forget the Durham report will be coming soon. The Durham report. And when the Durham report comes out, all these people are going to be uh, going to, to going to jail. So I just started putting together. I first started on Rush where I'd suddenly start going, the Durham report, uh, investing it with uh, great sonorous importance. And then we started putting dramatic music uh, to it. And then I think I did, uh, what came next? I think I did a parody of uh, Roger Whittaker's I'm Gonna Leave Old Durham Down. Emma told me again, I'm for sure. He would get him. Uh, call me Clapper Brandon Struck and Steel. Uh, I got a slight ear infection at the moment. If I was way off on that, I can't actually tell. Can't hear much at the moment. Um, but but the fact is, people thought he was seriously going to get the big players. The big players got book deals and CNN contracts. Okay, okay. So the the big players they they get to become celebrities, and uh, they get these huge book deals. But he, he but this guy Durham he's been working on it for what is it now two three five twelve years. Uh, he will get some of the smaller players, won't he? Well. We saw what happened. The smaller player goes up before a judge who worked on the Obama transition and a jury full of Hillary donors, and he skates. And meanwhile, Peter Navarro gets put in leg irons. And, you know, I'm, 
I, uh, people say, well, what's your, you must have a view on November. What, have you seen the numbers from whatever it is, Iowa or, you know, it doesn't matter if they're not going to do anything. If you've got institutional corruption and the institutions are permanent, who cares? You don't really need elections. I mean, that's the thing. With an FBI like this and a DOJ like this, why, why do you really, uh, why do you really uh, need to have elections? I mean, the DOJ and the FBI were working against Trump under Obama, and they're working against Trump under Biden. But what's really interesting is that they were working against Trump under Trump. Where are the Republicans? Why, did, why is Kevin McCarthy such a big Nancy boy? Robert Stewart writes, Mark, as you know, Durham failed. However, seeking some solace in the not guilty verdict by a jury that included three members who were known to the defendant. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> Only in America, for God's sake. What was the bloody point of your revolution? Yeah, what was the point of your revolution if you're going to wind up with a jury system in which the defendant doesn't have a lot to worry about because three of the jurors are personally known to him? You know, and a, ju a judge who worked with Sussman 30. The narrative is that we now know that Hillary knew. Yeah, we're supposed to be excited about this because... The most interesting fact to emerge was that this operation was, in effect, personally directed. This operation to subvert the United States election. Again, this peaceful transfer of power. The bollocks. The, bo the self-mythologizing bollocks. You know, whereby come uh, the third week of November, if the Republicans not conceded... Uh, the media all start going, oh, well, but this is uh, this is great damage to the peaceful transfer of power, which is unique to Amer America, because everywhere else, you know, uh, Denmark or, uh, or or the Netherlands or New Zealand, uh, the guy who's pre the guy who was previously in office has to be carried out by the handles before the other guy can take over. There only America has the peaceful transfer of power. Specifically, it has a three-month peaceful transfer of power that enables the outgoing re regime to screw over the incoming regime. So, in if that in effect. Uh, they're only able to the, the president only has about 15 percent of his time to concentrate on being head of the executive branch because the other 85 percent of the time he's tied up in legal problems. I mean, stop, knock it off with the self mythologizing because uh, the, the Sussman thing. Uh, Again, the straw clutching by the right, the straw clutching right. Oh, but but you know, it's now we know that Hillary personally was directing the subversion of the American electoral system. Oh yeah, you really think that anybody, anybody, who isn't following, you know, five or six select American websites and cable shows and radio shows is even aware of that. It wasn't covered by any of the news that, uh, uh, that people watch or get the, any of the sources of news 
that 99% of the population get their news from. It wasn't covered by Facebook. You couldn't find it on Twitter. This is before you get to ABC, CBS, NBC, the New York Times. Um, this apparently is considered progress, says Robert Stewart, since by her own words under oath, she can't recall very much. The rule of law is now nothing but a quaint notion by that was apparently embraced by those we consider our founders. Do you see any way forward for Durham or is this his curtain call? No, no doubt he's going to, you know, we were all told again, you have to be, it's, it's anybody, anybody. Tucker, Tucker and I were joking about Durham. Ugh, that's got to be three years ago now, you know, because this is how it always goes. Who went to jail for Benghazi? This is how it always goes. And we were told that the reason he's taking so long and you never hear from him is because he's dotting every I, he's crossing every T, he's a relentless prosecutor, he's super thorough. I mean, I could see the problem in his case. His, I can't even be bothered talking about it. I know more about American litigation than I ever wanted to know because I'm in court a lot of the time. Uh, so... Uh, a lot of the time, you're, you're, you don't want to get invested in theories of the case that can be undermined uh, at uh, very easily by the other side. It doesn't really matter whether they're true or not. You just simply as a matter of practical courtroom strategy, you don't want to do it. So here, for example, the theory is that this guy Sussman lied to the FBI. The fact is, he works for Perkins Coy, a law firm that actually has an unofficial FBI office in its business suites. Uh, that's to say, if you go to Perkins and Coy's offices in Washington, D.C., there's a room that is the FBI room in the because the FBI spends so much time there. Why? Because Perkins Coy are big Democrat lawyers. So if you come in from Perkins, if you come in, say, uh, who, who, who are you? You want to speak to the FBI? What's your name? Oh, my name's uh, Fred Smith. OK, Mr. Smith, and who are you from? Uh, oh, I'm from Perkins Coy. Well, the first thing that happens is they know you're working for a big shot Democrat. They just don't know which one yet. In this case, it's even better because the FBI guy that Sussman was going to see, they're like buddies. They know each other. They've worked out of the same building and they're engaging in, uh, you know, federal justice theater uh, and going along with the, oh, hi, my word, what you've told me is quite extraordinary, Mr. Sus. They're just, they knew he was lying to them and he knew, they knew he was lying to them uh, when he said he had no connection with the Hillary campaign and everything. It's all a lie. The, the, and that's why, because they wanted to get his product from a source that they could take to the FISA court. Do you realize, you st 
stupid, bonehead, do-nothing Republicans what this is telling you about the state of corruption of, oh, I, I know I, the FBI, I've, I'm proud to wear the FBI badge on my lapel pin when I'm on television every night. And apart from uh, a few rotten apples at the top, uh, they're salt of the other, so nothing straighter than a straight-shooting G-man, I can tell you that. I know all these people. My mother played a prison guard in a lesbian prison movie and these it's just a few rotten apples at the top okay and maybe just below the top and maybe in uh, much of the middle too and then when you get lower down there's some rotten apples there but I I feel confident in saying that the uh, lady who runs the canteen and serves you your uh, mugs of tea says she's uh, she's a straight shooting G-man gal if ever there was I'm proud to wear that. Blah, 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 blah. The, you're, you're being suckered. You're being suckered not only by the so-called mainstream media, but by the boobs of the credulous right who don't actually see uh, how corrupt this is. God almighty. Where is Kevin McCarthy on this? Where is Mitch McConnell? Eric Dale writes... Uh, hey, Mark and fellow club members, here in the United States, the number one story seems to be the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation case, which curiously has been tried much faster than your case with man. Uh, that's actually <laughs> true, because um, there's no reason, actually, why my case with man could have been tried as fast as uh, Johnny and Amber were. Stranger still, the Ukraine-Russian war has dropped out of the news. A couple of weeks ago, the media were reporting that the Russians were losing and the Pentagon has their swagger back. When I looked for the latest news, it seems Russia has taken Mariupol and almost all the Donbass. This will be the second time that a NATO-trained, equipped and funded ally will have collapsed in less than a year. What are your thoughts on the media silence on this? Well, I don't think that if you're comparing... Uh, Ukraine with Afghanistan. I'm not sure how that works because the the fact is the matter. The fact of the matter is the uh, Ukrainian forces have held out for over three months now. This thing started on February 24th. Uh, you know, in by comparison, uh, the Afghan National Army basically collapsed in days. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't really, I, you know, I'm, I'm being cautious on Ukraine because we know so little about what's going on there. When, realistically, when the Ukrainians get to go man to man, it goes very badly for the Russians because the Russians, uh, they've lost 50, their troops don't want to fight. So if, if at one end of the field you've got Ukrainian troops and at the other end of the field you've got Russian troops, generally it goes with the Ukrainians. I mean, the Russians have now lost, I think it's, what is it, 15 or 16 generals, as, as we've talked about on the Mark Stein show. Um, one of our guests suggested that uh, you need a general to do what a corporal would do. 
Uh, That's the standard joke in NATO armies. So the generals have to go to the front to order soldiers who don't want to fight to stop jerking around and start fighting. And in consequence, an awful lot of those generals have been killed. Now, that's how it goes, as I said, when you get the the two of them in a field. When they're not in a field, um, the, the one advantage the Russians have is that they'll just pick a town on the map and they will send long-range artillery into it or they'll send planes over to bomb it and they will reduce it to rubble. And the Ukrainian army is not having any contact with those guys at that time, and it and that doesn't go so well for them. Um, so that could go that can go on for some uh, for some time. I don't think anybody staged the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case <laughs> to, to to take the Ukraine story out of the news, but I do think you know I I just I can't I can't I can't there's certain things I just can't get interested in and and uh, and 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 that's and that's one of them uh, and what we try to do on the mark stein show there's equivalent stories to the 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 froth to the hamster wheel you know i keep talking about uh cake gate with boris and curry gate with sir keir starmer and ginger growler gate with angela rayner and these are not thing these are things that the if you're talking about that you deserve to lose your country essentially if you're not talking about anything important you deserve to lose your country and you know given that most western citizens are losing their countries <laughs> And they ought to be able to see that. It's not encouraging that they don't. I mean, what what's interesting, for example, is um, Trudeau has a certain advantage over Joe Biden, say, because Trudeau can basically scrape into power with little over 30 percent just because of how the vote splits elsewhere. Uh, across the map. So he can use that first-past-the-post parliamentary system to keep himself in power. Um, Whereas, for example, uh, Biden, where you just have these two parties, it ought at the very... His his problem is that uh, you can't, you can't, you can't, in theory, you shouldn't be able to screw over the populace quite as easily because uh, you, you've got to get a majority in the Electoral College and you've got to get 51 at least seats in the Senate and you've got to get whatever it is in the House of Representatives. But the fact of the matter is they're so cocksure, all these guys, that they can just do it to you on every single thing. I mean, you've got basically, as I was saying last week, this is a country where nothing works. Nothing works. And as the longer it goes on, the more we expect that nothing will work. We'll take it. We, we Eventually, we'll adjust to the fact that there's a shortage of baby formula and uh, a shortage of I, I, the first time I made jokes about this, which I think was very early back during the pandemic was because I happened to like a diet ginger ale every once in a while, not terribly often, maybe once every three months. I'm partial to it. And uh, I looked in the fridge at the studio and uh, there was no diet ginger ale. So uh, I asked someone to go and get one for me. 
And uh, she reported back that in none of the surrounding supermarkets were there any diet ginger ale. And that uh, and then we had uh, uh, we started calling further afield. And I think there was they had a couple of cans in Rutland, Vermont, and uh, maybe where was it? Plattsburgh, New York, I think. Anyway, somewhere like that. Uh, so you think you're drawn or drive uh, two states away to get some. So, uh, you know, I, I stopped having my occasional diet ginger ale. And now it's moved on from them, not to th- from that, to thing, not to things you have very occasionally, but to things you may actually need. The whole bloody place is falling apart. There's these weird attacks, these sudden fires at anything to do with the food supply chain. Uh, It's, uh, uh, as Jasmine Bertle said on our show, all the farmland that's being bought up by Bill Gates and other woke billionaires. Bill Gates is now, Farmer Bill is now the biggest farmer. Why is he doing that? And it is almost as if, you know, we are on something very strange is something very strange is going on. And uh, and they and they know they can do it. They can put whatever they're trying to put in place in place because, oh, look over here. Oh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are arguing about who defecated in the bed. Oh, really? Yes, that's I know that's number one on my issues of concern. You know, if you want a celebrity, you don't des- uh, no society that uh, for start, I don't. Amber Heard isn't anybody. She's uh, no nobody. You could there's all kinds of provincial repertory actresses you could pull out and stick on uh, screen, and they could do as competent a job as her. She isn't there. Johnny Depp is famous and rich and celebrated, but he's actually just a collection of crap mannerisms uh the the uh the whole pirates of the caribbean thing i never cared for and i and other and the other stuff like uh the lone ranger he just wrecks so up uh, up yours johnny depp but you know anyway william fleischman writes dear mr stein i'm a staunch and unreformed monarchist But I sadly think Queen Elizabeth II was a failure as a monarch. While she cannot be faulted for the collapse of the British Empire, she can be faulted for the collapse of Britain at home due to mass immigration. Yes, I understand that it is prudent for the Queen to delegate authority to her ministers and voice her concerns in private. But such a system can only work if gentlemen who understand the unwritten rules of governance hold the reins of power, but not when opportunistic scum like Tony Blair are in charge. In that case, the monarch must rule directly. She should have spoken out against Tony Blair's open border policies, forced her ministers to kick unassimilable immigrants out, and she should have refused to give royal assent to any act of parliament until the politicians did something about the border and immigration. The Queen is the mother of the nation and defender of the faith, the physical embodiment of the British race. If she cannot protect her children or defend the church, what is the point of having a Queen? Only authority can be delegated, not responsibility. Responsibility ends with the Queen as head of state, Uh, She is ultimately responsible for Britain's plight. Would a more active monarch have brought the mob to the street, like in 1832? Yes, but at least the gauntlet 
would have been dropped and we could have had it out with the Republicans and Reds once and for all. Would it have been bloody? Perhaps. But at least Conservatives would have fought to conserve something for once. And who knows? We might have won. Yeah, I I think uh, the key word there is that uh, all these systems only work if gentlemen who understand the unwritten rules... Uh, hold the reins of power. All these systems assume uh, a certain virtue, not only in the political class, but in the politicians. And I was very taken. I, I, I'm not sure whether it was Kate Smythe. I tend to often credit. <laughs> I think Kate corrected me. I credited uh, her for one insight that turned out to be some other fellow entirely. But um, I think it was Kate who was saying that uh, yeah, we, you know, we're spending our time arguing about whether a constitutional monarchy is better than a republic. And, of course, we're all going, you know, no, no, we're all going off the cliff. And so that's a, that's a, a an argument that should really wait until we've gone off the cliff. We've landed at the bottom. We're there in the middle of the rubble and we're having to rebuild and we can then decide which system is better. That's another reason why the American right is largely irrelevant. You know, I, every so often, less and less. I mean, I after I left National Review, I used to look in on National Review once every few days, see what they were talking about. And then it became once every week, once every month, once every quarter. I now, maybe I'll look in on National Review a couple of times a year, but they're, but they're, it's, as, it's as if their discussions have no real-world meaning. Um, you know, if you read David French or even uh, Charles Cook, uh, they're talking about abstractions at a time when things are actually happening. And open borders, open borders is a good example of that. Nobody, Tony Blair did have, uh, Tony Blair lied basically about immigration and he, and, and he vastly increased the number of people just walking into the country. Uh, then the conservatives told a different kind of lie, which is that they're cracking down on this and they're doing something about it. And in fact, the Tony Blair numbers survived through David Cameron and Theresa May and Boris Johnson. So, th so uh, they're telling the same lies that Americans tell, you know, uh, Joe Biden and who that awful guy who's his director of Homeland Security say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these are uh, there's no open borders. I don't know where you're getting that from. Uh, where blah, 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 blah. And likewise, the Republicans are, oh, this is terrible. We're going to do something about open borders. And they never do anything about it. So everybody, regardless of whether they have a constitutional monarchy or a, uh, a a, a, um, a constitutional republic do nothing about it, uh, which, which tells you that the problem is operating at a more fundamental level, that we've uh, corroded, so corroded any kind of uh, morality or integrity in our political class, in our ruling class, um, that, uh, that, 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 that they openly lie to us and their friends in the media never call them on the lies. Now, I agree with you that I think there's a point at which the, 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 the monarch has to act. I would be surprised if a 96-year-old lady were to do it. 
we have occasionally seen it uh, in Australia during the dismissal, for example, where um, you where uh, Sir John Carr, the Governor General, fired the Prime Minister. He saved he he, he saved uh, the integrity of the Australian system at great personal cost to himself. It's basically poor man was basically hounded out of the country eventually. Uh, you know his his decision was ratified at the next election, but he personally took took the hit for it. What we uh, I, I think sometimes when you get to fundamental issues of survival, and I will go back to something I talked about with Megan Kelly, is that we had, uh, you know, when 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 I was at Buckingham Palace, we had actually a very substantive uh, discussion on whether. Uh, in this case, in, on that night in at Buckingham Palace, something like the European Union could actually hollow out the entire constitutional system and strip it of any meaning or any power. And I think these are difficult questions because, in a sense, it's like uh, it's like pressing the nuclear button. You can only press it once, and once you do, it's almost certainly over for you too. Um, but but I'm uh, I I wouldn't disagree with a lot of what you said. I think it would have uh, you know William, you're not wrong on that, and that is true. And we have seen the system. You know, I I have always thought constitutional monarchy was a brilliant system, and I pointed out to Megyn Kelly that seven out of ten of the supposedly freest nations of our, on earth are constitutional monarchies. But if you look at Britain, if you look at Canada, if you look at Australia, if you look at New Zealand, what's happened these last two years uh, does not say anything about uh, the health of the system and its ability to protect uh, individual liberties. Elisa Angel says, during this Jubilee weekend, will you be playing us out with a song from Queen Elizabeth's favorite musical, Oklahoma? I am partial to Oh, What a Beautiful Morning and Surrey with the Fringe on top. But there are so many good songs in that musical. I won't be unhappy if you choose another. In fact, if you like... <laughs> Uh, songs from Oklahoma, as the Queen does. I will be playing her very favourite song from that musical as our Serenade Song of the Week. Uh, it, it went out yesterday on Serenade Radio. You can hear it again this Sunday, 5.30pm uh, London time, 12.30pm Sunday brunchy time. Uh, on the east coast of uh, uh, on the east coast of the United States, uh, and you will you will have a, a you, if you like songs from Oklahoma, you'll like that show, uh, Elisa. Charles Sharpler says, "Hi, Mark. You've recently referenced an exchange between Lady Thatcher." And Enoch Powell, whereas, and I'm paraphrasing, Thatcher suggests fighting for our values, and Powell scoffs that he would fight for England regardless of the government. I, remembering, I remember wondering whether in today's America, if either are correct, the anti-American traditionalism of the left 
has been on full display for decades now, uh, finally reaching its apex in the last few years. However, there seems to be a growing anti-Americanism on the right, as evidenced by the declining respect by conservatives of the more traditional institutions, the military, federal law enforcement and judiciary, etc. And how many American citizens would fight for the land when most of them don't own anything, have no sense of community and no sense of shared history. In other words, if Victor Orban were to invade California, how many on the right would be terribly upset about it? Likewise, if Justin Trudeau decided he wanted a more temperate Canadian colony in, say, Alabama, how many American lefties would cheer him on? Loving the GB News show, by the way, says Charles Sharpless of Loxie, Alabama. Um... Yeah, I I don't think you're right about. It. I mean, I think some some things have changed since the end of mass uh, conscription warfare uh, these last seventy years, or slightly less if you're were in danger of getting called up for the draft in Vietnam, whatever it is now, fifty years. Um, I think Mrs. Thatcher is generally right about uh, traditional nation states, uh, which is Ukraine. I've said this in reference to Ukraine, that when Ukraine is invaded, Ukrainians want to kick the invader out. And that goes for uh, Ukrainians speaking Ukrainians and Russians speaking Ukrainians too. That was the thing that surprised Putin, is he didn't expect there to be resistance to him in Russian-majority communities. Um, so I think uh, around the Western world, wherever you invade, if you invade Norway, the Norwegians don't like it. If you invade uh, Spain, the Spaniards don't like it. If you, and this, this, goes, this goes on. And I think I think uh, Enoch Powell had the better of Mrs. Thatcher. I don't think going to war for your values is a thing that people do. People people fight because they love their land. It doesn't mean they love the brutal uh, dictator or the not quite so brutal king or the stinkingly corrupt government of a constitutional republic. It's, it's, the, it's their country, and they, they love it, and that's why they fight. And this idiotic stuff about, oh, we're going to fight for our values. I don't even know what that means. What are those values? What, what values are we trying to implant in Afghanistan, or in Iraq. oh yes, we we think we'd like to uh, rebuild your national police agency so that it's more like the FBI. What what value is that? Um, yeah, and I think we'd also like to come up with a system whereby you elect presidents and then their variously corrupt children and siblings also get a piece of the action. What kind of values? Uh, so I. I think your uh, as to how that works now in the United States or indeed anywhere else. I think the more diverse you get, the more uh, the more you know. In the in the UK, for example, uh, far more supposedly supposed citizens of that benighted land 
Muslim citizens have fought for ISIS than have uh, served in the British Army as soldiers of the Queen. And that is undoubtedly true in Canada as well. And we all like to think that America is different. But uh, you raise a good point whether, you know, um, um, one of the most significant things of the last couple of years is the way the corruption on the one hand, the corruption on the one hand in things that the right used to support, and the wokery on the other in things the right used to support. So, for example, there's no doubt the Department of Justice and the FBI are irredeemably corrupt. And both the FBI should be abolished and the Department of Justice should be broken up. And if your candidate isn't even talking about that, he's not serious. So uh, to reprise a line I think I used on telly a night or two back, you know, that if you want to uh, elect the guy so that he gets to have a car and a driver and tons of staffers and a big entourage and never has to write a personal check again for the entire time he's in Congress, then fine, go ahead and vote for him. But we're past that bloody stage now. We need somebody who's actually going to do something about uh, half this stuff. And the disrespect, I think, I think, you're, I think you're right. You know, the, the thing is, Trump should have, when Trump, what was it he called, uh, soldiers who went off uh, to... to Wage war uh, overseas. What was he? Did he call? What was it? He called them. I can't. Uh, was did he call them suckers? Whatever the word was, just a few years back, it would utterly have disqualified him from getting anywhere in a Republican primary in a nineteen-man field uh, in he'd, in New Hampshire. He'd have come nineteenth. But but a lot of people are beginning. You know, thank you for your service isn't enough. Putting a yellow ribbon on the bumper of your car isn't enough. You know, when wars are, you, you think, you see those images from Kabul. It's, it's, it's impossible, I think, for anybody who knows what has happened these last two years not to despise the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I, I've, I've said I'd like the Pentagon raised to the ground and the earth salted. I I have no idea how these buffoons can get away wearing all that stupid ribbon. And they're not even real ribbons. They're not even real medals. How they can get away wearing all that crap in public. I don't know how they can walk down the street. But but the, the whole American way of war needs rethinking. So obviously conservatives have got an, and the same thing with federal law enforcement and the judiciary and all the rest of it. And so I don't, what's always interesting is uh, what happens when you're invaded uh, and you're taken by surprise and the enemy takes your cities and you have to go down into basements and sewers and start waging guerrilla warfare and all the rest of it. You know, what 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 would you do? Would you stay in the sewer and wage guerrilla warfare, or would you rather just figure there's a fishing smack heading to the Bahamas or whatever? It's very difficult, very difficult to say these uh, these days. Uh, James says, "How does one qualify to be a fact checker?" 
Is there a university degree in fact-checking? Are these grifters still questioning the widowhood of your guests? Yes, fact-checking is a racket. Uh, In the case of my show, uh, the fact-checkers we've been checking the facts of is this company called Full Fact, Uh, who are funded by all these American bazillionaires and who do things like when Charlotte and Vicky, who came on my show and um, have basically been widowed by the vaccine, uh, that's to say their husbands died young from the AstraZeneca shot. These are two ladies in their their 30s. And whenever they tried to post... Uh, a bit of their interview with me on the internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media, full fact check fact checkers come in and say, oh, this is the, the... They're basically denying these ladies' widowhood. They're not fact-checking anything. They're serving as partisan operatives. I remember years ago when I was in trouble with the Human Rights Commissions in Canada... And you could still get a rise of people when you went on mainstream television and radio shows. As, as i mentioned many times, I read the joke, Milan Kundera's first novel, um, in which uh, in the early years of communist Czechoslovakia after the Second World War, a guy makes a joke and his life is destroyed. And we read it in 1948, 1950s, 1960s, as something that testified to the absolute worst of Soviet-style communism. And what's interesting is that we are such a stupid, ignorant, and uncultured society that when uh, woke lefties introduce that same very system, one joke, you're out, Uh, They're too stupid even to know they're just ripping off Milan Kundera. This is why we do Tales for Our Time. This is why we do Sunday poems. Because sometimes the the great imaginative authors see something that, say, a more earthbound type such as Mark Levin doesn't. This is why we do it. So all you political people, why we should just be talking about Mitch McConnell 24-7. And then, you know, we might have a greater big red wave in November. Uh, No, because you're up against people who are way ahead of you in that respect. So that electoral victories are only the icing on the cake. Uh, If they lose the election, then in all the key levers of power whether you're talking about the ability to arrest Peter Navarro at an airport and put him in leg irons, or you're just talking about next week's crappy superhero movie, they are able to maintain their power throughout. Um, But yeah, the fact-check thing is a racket, and people should mock fact-checkers. I I was supposed to take fact... You know, I'm being investigated by Ofcom, the British regulator. They partner with all... They partner with Full Fact. Oh, isn't that nice? You partner with them, like uh, friends with benefits. Excellent. Uh, Lovely for you. I don't get anything out of it. The fact that you partner with Full Fact is why you're wankers. 
uh, and you shouldn't even actually have the powers you have, never mind the powers that a so-called conservative government is going to give you. Wanda Sherratt says, Sorry I've missed everything you've done for the past two weeks because I'm one of those in Canada's capital, Ottawa, who just spent eight days without electricity because of a huge storm that hit here on May 21st. If Washington, D.C., Paris or London had gone eight days without power, it would be reported hourly as an ongoing crisis. (laughs) Am I just a sorehead or is this a... A bad omen that Canada is slipping from first world to second world status. It's not that we're more important than anyone else, but it's like you said about rich people and celebrities in London being mugged. If we can't be insulated against such things, what does that say about the chances of people in less prominent areas? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Alan Fotheringham, my uh, late colleague from McLean's. He always used to, had what I thought was a rather tiresome line, but people seem to like it. He always used to go, Ottawa, the town that fun forgot. Uh, I think it's more accurate to say that Ottawa is the town that everybody forgets. Um, Because you're right (laughs) to claim that if Washington had got eight days without power, that would certainly be a front page story. Um, I don't You know, these are the most basic. Here's why I don't like the philosophical abstractions from, uh, you know, David French and the National Review types, because this is really very basic. Um, If you if it's any consolation wonder, there's going to be power outages all over California and the West this coming summer. There's reportedly going to be some in Uh, the United Kingdom because of shortage of electricity. It's very basic now. You know, where we this is the Great Reset. The Great Reset isn't about being nicer to the planet or being nicer to racial and sexual minorities. The Great Reset is about you getting used to a crappier life. That's all it's about. There'll still be people flying high above you in private jets, you know, from one global warming conference in Tahiti over to Davos for Klaus Schwab's thing. They'll all still be flying around above you. But there are going to be days when you don't have electricity. There are going to be days when you don't have any uh, baby uh, formula milk. There are going to be days when you uh, can't gas up your car. And even if you do, when you drive it to the supermarket, there's not going to be any meat for you to buy. All these things that are happening all over the map, you know, baby milk in America, electricity in uh, Ottawa, uh, these this is a pattern of softening us up for a world uh, which, in which uh, we live. Life is nastier, more brutish, and shorter, because in the end they're not above killing us. I mean, there's some. What's interesting to me, we've just crashed over a hundred thousand at the at, at the petition that uh, the ladies who've been on my show 
have invited us to sign. We've, we've got over 100,000 signatures. So in theory, the parliament at Westminster ought to be debating these this situation where people who were perfectly healthy are dying in their 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s and younger. And because it's odd, they've now invented this term sudden adult death syndrome. So that covers anything, doesn't it? Oh, sudden, sudden. Oh, he, he came down with sudden. I had no idea he had sudden adult death syndrome. How long has he had sudden adult death syndrome for? Oh, he didn't have it at all until two seconds before he was dead. Oh, really? There's a lot of sudden adult death syndrome about. It's a term that covers everything. If if you were, you know, the way to think about conspiracy theories is if it, if it were a conspiracy, what exactly would they be doing differently? Obviously, if you've got sudden increase in uh, thrombosis, if you've got sudden increase in blood clots everywhere, sudden increase in strokes and heart attacks, uh, you'd want some kind of term that would kind of cover you on that. Oh, let's just put it down to sudden adult death syndrome. Oh, what could I do? Uh, what could I do about that? What are the warning signs of uh, sudden adult? Well, there aren't really uh, any warning signs. That's why we call it sudden adult death syndrome. Oh, oh dear. That's a bit much, isn't it? You know, Every The Great Reset is about your life being worse. And the last two years, they've got us very much used to it, Wanda. Very much uh, used to it. Ellen Como writes, Chemak, salutation de la belle province. Every time you mention that you miss live music, Ellen... Uh, we used to, uh, when she cabled the uh, first Mark Stein cruise, we, I think we called her our token francophone gal. And she, uh, and she stood uh, for Parliament for Le Parti Populaire, the popular party of Can People's Party of Canada, uh, Maxime Bernier's party. So she's, uh, she's, she's uh, on the right side with Maxime on a lot of these issues, unlike these awful, ghastly... Uh, finger in the windy conservatives who are all, you know, as usual, it's a racket to see uh, uh, how many principles that each candidate can throw overboard the fastest. Uh, anyway, Ellen says, uh, Salutation de la belle province. Every time you mention that you miss live music, I'm in. <laughs> I'm tempted to invite you to my amateur choir show happening this weekend after a two-year hiatus. I do hope you will soon be able to take in a wonderful professional live performance sometime soon. Uh, I, I hope it goes well for you this weekend, Ellen. Uh, our pal Dr. Roy is a Mark Stein Club member. Uh, in Montreal, and in fact, you can see here, I think it's called Choir of the Earth, and um, they put together for the Jubilee, I think it's 2,500 choristers, uh, you know, done on Zoom or whatever, uh, put together a special arrangement of God Save the Queen, which is rather interesting, but I think if you go to something like choiroftheearth.com, you can see it's a... Um, a um, it's a, a special jubilee arrangement of uh, God Save the Queen. Not sure that's quite Maxim's. <laughs> 
cup of tea. Anyway, Ellen says, my question for you today, given that the language issue is heating up again with the passage of Bill 96, do you think Quebec will ever achieve independence? I deem it unlikely as the demographics are not in Quebec's favour. Also, the fiscal policies of recent separatist governments demonstrate that they are wholly unserious about the prospect, given how they are latched on to the federal government's equalisation breast. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think, you know, when Quebec separatism started, the map was frozen. It was basically frozen by the Cold War, that you couldn't have people starting up new countries here and there because it it, it would be seen as, uh, you know, it would be something that great powers would meddle in. And that 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 excuse for why Quebec hadn't become independent ended 30 years ago. And since then, anybody that's wanted to be a country has become a country. doesn't matter whether you're talking about East Timor, doesn't matter whether you're talking about Slovenia or Slovakia. Slavonia isn't a country yet, but give it time. And so then when you have sort of pseudo-nationalist movements such as Quebec separatism, you have to ask, why, if they want to be a country, why, they've got more than enough. They'd be quite a big big country. They'd have a bigger population than New Zealand, for example. So they certainly have the capacity to be a big French-speaking republic. And instead, they never actually go for that. You know, Bernard Landry, God bless him, a lovely man in many ways. He was always... Uh, he, got, he could be a bit touchy, but he was actually quite pleasant company if you ran into him. But his whole thing that he was thinking of ti- changing the title of the Premier of Quebec to the President of Quebec, <laughs> just so he could go around thinking he was a President of a Republic, even though he was just the Queen's First Minister in Quebec, I think highlighted and They're not serious. They're just totally unserious. Otherwise, they would be independent. And you're right about the demographics, Ellen. If you go back, you know, like Chrétien, I think, was the 11th of 12 children or whatever it was. That was fairly normal for uh, Catholic uh, families in uh, the Morrissey at that time. Um, But at the same time as they launched the independence movement, they stopped having kids. So the reality is that eventually there'll be a mosque uh, that will uh, be, uh, you know, somewhere up at the very northern end of the Saguenay. Uh, They'll put up a mosque. They'll put a mosque up on the uh, lower north shore at Natashquan or whatever. Uh, They would have had their republic by now uh, if they had had... uh, the the old Catholic birth rates, but they could have their republic by now if they really wanted it. And I always come back to seeing Gilles Duceppe, the former leader of the Parti Québécois, the Bloc Québécois, when uh, he was speaking at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. And I went along to see him speaking to these trusty, fundy Americans. And he was telling them how he wanted to set up a country called Quebec. And uh, he explained it to them uh, that it would be uh, have a high social safety net, 
Uh, so big, generous welfare programs, and uh, it would have uh, subsidies for key industries. And, and eventually, one of the trusty funded kids, snotty trusty funded kids from Connecticut, said, So let me see if I get this right. You want to leave the country you're in in order to set up a country just like the one you've just left. Is that it? <laughs> it was a fabulous moment, and Monsieur Duceppe. He's another nice guy. Uh, doesn't really, didn't really have any answer to that. Thank you very much for that question, Ellen. We're moving way beyond that now. Doesn't really matter whether you're uh, like Dr. Roy, the last monarchist in Quebec, or you're a seething Quebec separatist, uh, any more than it matters if you are an Australian Republican or an Australian monarchist, any more than it matters uh, whether you uh, think Mitch McConnell is the greatest thing walking around or you think Chuck Schumer is the greatest thing walking around. All our countries are dying, dying. Uh, uh, we've surrendered so much the last two years. We have surrendered so much and they're still not satisfied and they're demanding more. And what they do then when they say, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you've just got a newborn baby. Oh, sorry. There's no formula milk for 50 miles. Oh, you've uh, just, uh, you, 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 you need to drive your diesel truck to work. I'm sorry, we're just going to have to quadruple the price of what it costs you to fill up your truck. You know, they're, te they're, they're doing this to us because they can. And a lot of the things we've discussed on this show aren't going to seem terribly important. Uh, because they're, they're nuances, you know. As I said, the argument constitutional monarchy, constitutional republic. Uh, if you're at the bottom of the cliff, having that argument is an indulgence. Uh, thank you for all your questions. We always like to end with a little bit of music. Uh, yes, it's not going to be Oklahoma, uh, sorry, because we're going to save that for Song of the Week this week. Um one of the songs from Oklahoma, but um, because of that, what uh, was it, Thursday Stein Show on GB News, I was very much focused on events at Buckingham Palace that day from the moment I woke up. And my colleagues, Alistair Stewart and the great historian David Starkey, had a position just off to the side of that ghastly, ugly stage they put up at the Victoria Memorial for those ancient rock and roll caterwaulers. And so it reminded me of how you first see Buckingham Palace as a child, and that in turn brought a certain poem by A.A. A. Milne, the creator of Winnie the Pooh, the original Winnie the Pooh, I mean, not Chairman Xi. Um, that, that brought a certain poem by A.A. A. Milne swimming up into my memory. Many years later, Petula Clark made a record of it. Uh, for American listeners, this is more than a decade before her big hits from the mid to late 60s, Downtown, Don't Sleep in the Subway, Love, This Is My Song. In my experience, uh, Americans tend to think of uh, Pet as a, um, you know, as a female vocalist from the swinging 60s. Uh, but in fact, she goes back uh, rather a long way before that. Pet is not quite as old as the Queen, but she started young. I think she was on the BBC singing Mighty Lacquer Rose. Lovely song. 
when she was and Pat Pat still sings that. Um, and I think she was doing that on the BBC when she was seven or eight. And so by the late forties, she was a seasons seasoned trooper. Here she is in coronation year singing A. A. Milne. When Mr. Milne wrote the poem, we had a king. So the line was, we looked for the king, but he never came. But not in 1953. So Pet sings, we looked for the queen but she never came. And on this jubilee, we know how that feels. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Now Alice is marrying one of the guard. A soldier's life is terrible hard, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace And Christopher Robin went down with Alice We saw a guard in a sentry box One of the sergeants looks after the socks <laughs> Says Alice They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace Christopher Robin went down with Alice We looked for the Queen but she never came well, God take care of her all the same, says Alice. They've great big parties inside the grounds. I wouldn't be queen for a hundred pounds, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace And Christopher Robin went down with Alice Her face looked out but it wasn't the Queen's She's much too busy assigning things Says Alice They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace And Christopher Robin went down with Alice Do you think the Queen knows all about me? Oh sure too dear but it's time for tea, says Alice. Says Alice. In the year of the coronation, young Petula Clark singing Harold Fraser Simpson's setting of A. A. Milne's poem. We looked for the Queen, but she never came. Well, God take care of her, all the same. Sentiments echoed at St Paul's and at Epsom, because that's how it goes this historic Jubilee weekend. If you miss me on the Megan Kelly show, we'll post it for you. We'll have some of the Queen's favourite music on my Serenade Radio Song of the Week. That's uh, Sunday, 5.30pm London time, 12.30pm New York. Hope you'll tune in. And right here at Stein Online, Rick McGuinness's Movie Pick and the 100 Years Ago Show. Stay safe, stay free. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
Rights Reserved.